Amen. Well, hey, welcome to Center Church. The big takeaway from that video is be careful talking to me on the sidewalk. All right, you never know where you're gonna end up. Uh, no, hey, uh, here, here's the truth, guys. Uh, from a human perspective, the church rises and falls on its leadership. And so the best thing that we can do for the future of our church or the future of the church is invest in the leaders of tomorrow today. And that's what our residency program is. It is a program designed to invest in future church leaders. Um, I believe in the power of residencies because I'm the product of a residency. So before Planting Center Church, I spent nine months in a residency at my old church in North Carolina. Man, the experiences that I had, the relationships that I formed, the lessons that I learned during that time have been absolutely invaluable to me as I've led Center Church. Uh, three of our four full-time staff members are products of residencies, okay? And so this is very personal to us. We believe in it. And the reason that we have it is because, man, if you are interested in full-time vocational ministry, we wanna come alongside of you, we wanna put tools in your hand, and we wanna put courage in your heart because you need both of them, okay? So if you're here today and you're thinking like, yes, that's me, I've been thinking about full-time ministry and I just didn't know what the next step was, or you're here and you would say like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm sort of interested, man, how can I find out more? We would love for you to join us on December 4th for a residency interest dinner, okay? You'll have a chance to get to know some of our current residents, you'll have a chance to get to learn more about the program, and understand like what would be the next step for you if you're interested in finding out more. You can also follow us on social media. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be sharing kind of highlights of our different residents. And so you get to, can get to know them a little bit more and uh, also be like, man, what would it be like uh, to be a resident here at Center Church? So I just wanna pray. I wanna pray for our current residents who do so much at our church. And I also wanna pray that God would stir up some of you or even if you're watching online or listening, man, to say, this is the next step for me. So would you guys join me in praying that? Um, Lord, I'm so grateful for the 11 men and women who have completed our residency program. God, I'm grateful for the five men and women right now that are in the residency growing and developing. They serve our church in so many unseen ways. We would not be the same church without them. God, I'm grateful for them. I pray that you'd bless them and encourage them and honor them as they seek to honor you. And Father, I pray for all the men and women who are listening now or will be listening in the future that you'd give them courage and you would give them uh, clarity if this is the next step that you want them to take. God, we wanna be a church that hands the gospel off to the next generation. Help us to do it through this residency program. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, you can meet me in Revelation chapter three, starting in verse seven. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse seven. So this fall, our family had the hardest time getting our daughter Annie's soccer jersey. All right, any other parents out there? It's like, it was so complicated. Like she shows up to practice and they're like, hey guys, we don't have enough jerseys. Everyone gets a jersey, uh, but Annie. And it's like, oh, all right. But then the league sends out an email and they're trying to do a good job. And so they send out this email. They're like, we're sorry. We were short on jerseys. When we get more, we'll let you know. We're like, okay, so... Then they send out an email and they're like, all right, we got more jerseys. You can pick them up between three and 3.30 in the morning. That's when you can pick them up. Uh, like, not really, but you know how it is when you're a parent. It's like, I, like, I don't have a ton of extra time where I can run over and pick up the jersey. And so we're emailing back and forth and they're trying to do a good job. They're overwhelmed and they're not responding to our emails, okay? It's like email, 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 nothing. And if you work for a soccer organization, we love you. I'm sure it was a lot, okay? Anyway, so it's like Thursday and the first game is Saturday. And it's like, we just want Annie to have a jersey. And you know what it's like. You're like, you don't want your sweet daughter to be the one girl out there on the field in orange when everyone else is in green. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, we just, we just want a jersey. And so finally, Meredith just says like, I just got to drive over there. Like nobody's responding to my emails. So she's like, all right. So she loads the kids up in the car. She's driving over there. And on the way over there, she's praying. She's literally praying. She's saying, Lord, I just need you to open a door for me with this soccer organization. Like I just want my daughter to have her soccer jersey. And so they get to the soccer office and guys, it does not look promising. Okay. It's like dark building, empty 
empty parking lot, nobody around. It's like, ugh. And so Meredith gets out of the car and she goes up to the front door. Sure enough, front door is locked. And it's just like, ugh, nobody's here. Like, I'm not gonna be able to get my soccer jersey. Well, she's walking back and she passes by like the side door. Like the door you're obviously not supposed to go in. You know, like no windows, no decals, like obviously not supposed to go through this door. But Meredith's like, I'm all the way over here. I might as well give it a try. And she pulls on the handle. Wouldn't you know it, the side door is open. So she sticks her head into this totally dark, empty building. And she's like, I'm sending it. I'm going for it. So she gets the kids out of the car and she like walks through this big dusty. She's like, where is it? It's all dark, nothing's around. She finds the equipment closet. She finds Annie's team. She grabs Annie's jersey and she gets out of Dodge. Let's go. And guys, the whole time our kids are freaking out, they're like, mom, you're gonna get sent to jail. <laughs> so, so Meredith calls me, because you know, obviously it's a dramatic thing that's happened. She tells me the story. And after we hand it the phone, I thought to myself, that may be the first time I've ever heard of someone praying for an open door and getting a literal physical door that was unlocked. <laughs> You know, like it's actual door that's unlocked. Uh, well, I tell you that story because our text today in Revelation chapter three is all about open doors. It's all about open doors. Not literal ones like Meredith got, uh, but about metaphorical ones. You see, when the Bible uses the phrase open door, it's referring to a spiritual opportunity in your life. That's what an open door is, a spiritual opportunity in your life. Jesus opened a door for the church in Philadelphia and he wanted them to walk through it and Jesus has opened a door for you and he wants you to walk through it as well. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, no matter what mistakes or regrets you have, Jesus has opened a door in your life and he's inviting you to walk through it. He's inviting you, he's inviting your family, he's inviting our church to walk through the open doors of ministry opportunity. And this is important guys, because the spiritual trajectories of our lives and our families and this church are determined by how we respond to the open doors in our lives. The trajectory of your life will be determined by how you respond to the open doors in your life. And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna explain the text and what's going on, and I'm just gonna draw out three principles of open doors that will help us recognize and walk through them today, okay? Here's verse seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. If you're new, welcome. We've been looking at seven churches that Jesus sent letters to in the book of Revelation. And today we're looking at the church in the city of Philadelphia, okay? Not like the Philadelphia Eagles, but like the Philadelphia in Asia Minor, okay? Uh, Philadelphia was not the biggest of the seven cities. It was not the most beautiful of the seven cities, but it was the best located of the seven cities. So it was situated along a strategic Roman road, which meant it was a hub for commerce, for ideas, and for culture. It was nicknamed the Gateway to the east because everything had to flow through Philadelphia if you wanted to get to the east. And Jesus introduces himself to Philadelphia in a way that is relevant for their situation. So if you look at the text, first he says, I am the holy one. That means I'm unique. Holy doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean like, you know, you never have any fun. It means you're different. Jesus is saying, I'm the holy one. I'm distinct. I'm unique. I'm set apart from you. I'm able to do things for you that you're not able to do for yourself. And then he says, I am the true one. That means true as in trustworthy, sound, reliable, someone you can count on. Jesus says, I'm the holy one, I'm the true one. And then he starts talking about doors. He says, I possess the key of David. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a reference to King David in the Old Testament. 
You see, in the ancient Near East, there were certain keys that only the king possessed. There were doors and chests and documents in the palace in Jerusalem that only David could get to because he had the key of David. There were quite literally doors that only David could open and only David could shut. Here's what Jesus is saying. As the king of kings and the Lord of lords, as the spiritual heir of David, in a much broader, much more significant sense, there are doors that only Jesus can open. And if Jesus opens a door, no one can shut it. Now, why in the world does that matter? Because when you start following Jesus, you're gonna have some doors slammed in your face. That was true in Philadelphia. We're gonna find out that they got kicked out of their synagogue. Lies were being spread about them. They didn't have the same economic opportunities that they would have had because they were being ostracized by the community. They no longer got invited to the same functions. They no longer had access to the same educational institutions. There were doors that were slammed in their face when they confessed Jesus as Lord. And if you follow Jesus, that's likely to happen to you as well. There may be opportunities that you're passed over for. There may be friend groups that you're excluded from. You may be ostracized man, by your parents over the holidays. And when you feel a door slammed in your face, you need to remember that Jesus Christ is the one who opens the doors that most matter. And if Jesus Christ has opened a door for you, no one else can shut it. So he says to Philadelphia, I am the holy one, I am the true one, and I hold the keys of David. And now he gives his evaluation of them as a church. Verse eight, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, you can underline that, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, that means they didn't have much in the way of political, economic, or social influence, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Jesus says, I know you. I know your works. That is distinct among religions. Agnosticism says there might be a God you can't know for sure, and you can't know him personally. Deism says God is like a divine clockmaker who's kind of put the world together, set it running, and then stepped away and is no longer interested in what's, what's going on there. Secularism says there is no God. You're the product of random chance. And so the reason that you feel alone and forsaken in the universe is because you are alone and forsaken in the universe. But, but the Bible comes along and says something marvelous. It says that the God who created the universe who spoke the constellations into existence is intimately aware of and involved in your life. So even when you feel forsaken and when you feel forgotten and when you feel alone and like no one could ever love you and no one knows you and no, you, no one sees you, that's actually not true. You see this in this text, Jesus knows and Jesus sees. He says this to the church in Philadelphia. You know what he knew? He knew their faithfulness. He knew their faithfulness, that they had kept his word and not denied his name. And he knows your faithfulness. He knows every morning you wake up and you read the Bible, even if you don't get a lot out of it. He knows every time that you attend a service and serve a service so that we can have a kid's ministry, even though you're tired. He knows every time you forgive, even though it costs you something and it's difficult to do. No act of faithfulness will go overlooked or unrewarded by Jesus Christ because he knows you. He knows your faithfulness. He also knew their struggles. He knew what was going on in their lives. He knew that they had been excluded by this synagogue. He calls them a synagogue of Satan. Why? Because Satan is a deceiver and a slanderer of the people of God. And that's what this group of Jews was doing. 
This, this, this synagogue was spreading lies and slander about the disciples and making their lives very difficult. Jesus says, I know that you have been kicked out of the synagogue, you are being oppressed, you have little power, and yet I know that you haven't denied my name. He knew their struggles. Jesus knows your struggles. You ever thought about that? Like Jesus knows about your anxiety. Jesus knows how you have a really hard time going to sleep at night because you just sit and you, and you cycle on all the things that could go wrong or did go wrong. Jesus knows how insecure you are at work. Jesus knows about your eating disorder. Jesus knows about all the brokenness you're about to walk into at Thanksgiving. Like, like Jesus knows the bondage that you feel you're in to that website. Man, Jesus knows all of your struggles. He sees you and he knows you. Finally, Jesus knew what this church needed. He said, I'm going to vindicate you before your enemies and sustain you through a coming trial. Friends, he knows what you need. He knows you need a job. He knows you need wisdom for parenting. He knows that you need peace of mind or relational healing. He knows what we need and he promises that as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will provide the things that we need. Jesus Christ knows you in a way that is more intimate and is more involved than even your closest friend. Man, Jesus knows his people. So Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, I know you, I know your works. And then he says, behold. The word behold means see, pay attention, look at this. He says, I know your character. I know what's going on. Behold, I have opened a door for you. I have set before you an open door. Now, an open door in the Bible refers to one of two things. It can refer to personal salvation or a kingdom opportunity. Sometimes it refers to salvation. Like in John 10, 9, when Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death and rose in victory. Why? To open the door of salvation to you and to me. You see, the kingdom of God is like a giant castle with no doors and you wanna get in, but there's no way to get in. You can't climb over the walls. You can't force your way in. There's absolutely no access to the kingdom of God until Jesus came. And in, through his life, death and resurrection, Jesus created a door through which you and I can enter into eternal life. So sometimes an open door in scripture is referring to the open door of salvation. Other times in scripture, it's referring to the open door of a kingdom opportunity, an opportunity for the kingdom of God to move forward in your life, in your family, or in a city. Like when Paul in Colossians 4, 3 said this, pray, this is what he, he's saying, pray for me, pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul's saying, hey, pray that God would give us a kingdom opportunity. And then again, in 2 Corinthians 2, 12, Paul says this, a door was opened for me in the Lord to preach the gospel. So in this case, the believers in Philadelphia have already walked through the door of salvation. So I think Jesus is talking about the open door of kingdom opportunity. There was an opportunity in Philadelphia that Jesus wanted them to seize. There was gospel potential that Jesus wanted them to realize that city could be different if they would walk through this door. And Jesus is like, I've got people in Philadelphia. I know it doesn't seem like it, but one street over from you, there's a family, I'm working on them, I wanna save them, here's a door, you walk through it. He's saying, hey, Philadelphia is a strategic city and everyone that moves through this way goes out to the east. What if they move through this way and along the way they picked up the gospel and they took the gospel with them into the east? Jesus is saying, I've got things that I wanna do in this city through you. There is gospel potential that I want you to realize. I want you to walk through this door. Friends, that was true of them then and it is true of us 
today. Jesus has not stopped opening doors, amen? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Ephesians 2.10 says that God has prepared good works, open doors for every one of his people to walk through. We are surrounded by kingdom opportunity and gospel potential. And what we do with those open doors determines the trajectory of our lives, our families, and this church. And so what I wanna do from this text is I wanna draw out three principles of open doors to help us recognize and walk through the opportunities that Jesus has put in front of us, okay? Here's number one. One open door leads to another. One open door leads to another. Here's what you have to understand. Philadelphia was a faithful church. This is one of the only churches in the list of seven that has nothing negative said about them. That means they had been walking through doors. Like they'd been doing a good job. Jesus doesn't rebuke them at all. They had been faithful with little, and now Jesus is saying, I'm going to entrust you with more. You see, that principle that he who's faithful with little will be faithful with much, will be entrusted with much, is taught all throughout the scriptures. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. Luke 16, 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Matthew 25, 29, for to everyone who has will more be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Last one, Mark 4, 25, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's what this means for us this morning. The more open doors you walk through, the more open doors you get. The more open doors you walk through, the more open doors you get. Now, that may sound kind of unfair at first. Until you think of it from God's perspective. Imagine, imagine you had $100,000 to invest in retirement. And you took 50,000 of it, you gave it to one financial planner, and you took 50,000 of it, you gave it to another financial planner. And then you came back a year later, and the first financial planner had, had grown your money by 30%, and the second financial planner hadn't grown your money at all. What would you do? You would move most or all of your money to the first financial planner, right? Because she showed herself to be a good steward of your resources, and so you're like, all right, you're getting all of it. It's kind of how it works with God. You see, God entrusts kingdom opportunities to people who are faithful with kingdom opportunities. This is what this means. He gives bigger kingdom opportunities to people in churches who are good stewards of small ones. So here's what this means practically, you ready? Don't be afraid to dream small. Don't be afraid to dream small. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't that wrong, Josh? I've been, I've been to the motivational section in Barnes & Noble. I know what I'm supposed to do, Josh. I'm supposed to dream big, you know? What, what is it? Uh, shoot for the moon, and even if you miss, you'll land among the stars, and you'll suffocate to death. That's what'll happen. I would be a terrible, I would just be the worst at motivational posters. Um, right, the whole idea is like dream big, blah, blah. And I'm fine with like you having big kingdom dreams. What I'm not fine with is when our big kingdom dreams keep us from being faithful with our small kingdom doors. You see, a lot of times what happens is we have this vision for our lives, like we wanna make an impact. We wanna change the world for Christ, but we don't wanna like get up tomorrow morning and read the Bible. And so what I would say is like, man, it's great to have a big kingdom dream, but don't be afraid to dream small. Don't be afraid to ask the question, God, what door have you put in front of me right now that I can walk through? You know, this is interesting. Sociologists have discovered that the, the place of maximal personal growth and development is when you are operating at 102% of your personal competence. Now, how you determine that, I have no idea. But that's what they say. If you're below that, you get bored and you won't grow. If you're too far above that, it, it'll crush you and the people you're leading will get hurt by it. So it's like 102% is the sweet spot. 
Now, here's, what, here's why I tell you this. I bet the kingdom door that's in front of you right now is about 102% of your personal competence. It's like enough to, to kind of make you uncomfortable, right? Like you gotta get out of your comfort zone. It's gonna take prayer. It's gonna take risk. You're kind of insecure. You need people to pray for you. Like it's, it's, it's a reach. And yet at the same time, it's not like so overwhelming that it's gonna crush you and you're not ready for it, right? It's like right there at the edge of your personal confidence. That's just, that's just how God works. He gives us the next door. He doesn't give us the last door. For a lot of you, the big kingdom dream is on the other side of five or six open doors, so it's like, you wanna be a man of integrity, amen. Tell someone you're sorry this afternoon, right? You wanna leave a legacy of godliness to your kids. You wanna see your kids marry godly people and have godly offspring and make a difference. Fantastic, read to them tonight, right? Like you wanna found Christ-centered medical clinics all around the world, amen. Go on a mission trip next year. Don't, don't let your, your desire for the big future kingdom dream stop you from walking through the open doors that Jesus has put right in front of you. You see, what did Philadelphia do? Philadelphia was faithful with the doors that were in front of them. And as they walked through the doors that were in front of them, Jesus gave them bigger and bigger doors. Here's what this means. The spiritual influence we end up possessing and the spiritual impact we end up making depends on our willingness to walk through the door that's currently open. One open door leads to another. Here's the second principle. Number two, open doors come with opposition. Open doors come with opposition. In verse eight, Jesus said, behold, I'm setting before you an open door. In verse nine, he immediately starts talking about the group of people that were making their life very, very difficult. What does that tell us? When you walk through an open door, get ready for opposition. Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians 16, eight, nine. This is what he says. I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective ministry has opened to me. And... There are many adversaries. You see, notice he said, and not but, and not yet. Why? Because he's like, this is how it works. The way that you advance the kingdom of God is by overcoming the opposition that is in your path. Guys, one of the things you have to understand is that the Bible generally and Revelation in particular is set in the context of cosmic conflict. Good versus evil, truth versus lies. Light versus darkness, Jesus versus Satan. You will never understand the Bible and why it's so serious all the time <laughs> until you understand that. Here's what that means. When you go to walk through a kingdom door, guess who doesn't want you to walk through the kingdom door? Satan doesn't want you to walk through the kingdom door. You get serious about your marriage and he gets serious about discouraging you. You get serious about your parenting and he gets serious about discouraging you. You get serious about being a light and a witness at work and he gets serious about discouraging you. Guys, here's the truth. When Jesus opens a door, Satan cannot close it, so he tries to stop you from walking through it. Satan can't close the door. Jesus has the key. Satan didn't have the key. Jesus is opening doors, but, but Satan's like, all right, I'm just trying to get them so discouraged, man, and so distracted and so beat up and so doubting and so isolated that they never walk through the door that Jesus has right in front of them. Guys, the truth is, walking through open doors, realizing gospel potential is just hard. Ministry is just hard. And anybody that's ever done it can attest to that. It's hard because of the world that we live in. It's hard because of the flesh that dwells within us. It's hard because of the devil. It is hard work to walk through open doors. And honestly, the more doors you walk through, the harder it gets because you're more and more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. There is a tension that exists in our lives between comfort and impact. 
There is, between comfort and impact. You can't have both. You can invest in your marriage or you can watch Netflix. You can get up and read your Bible or you can hit snooze. You can engage with your kids or you can scroll on your phone. But you can't do both. There's a tension between impact and comfort. And every day we make choices between those two things that shape our legacy. It is a frightful thing to be alive, that every choice that we make has an impact down the line. Guys, this church exists today because of two groups of people that were willing to choose impact over comfort. The first was our launch team. You may not know this, but six years ago, 37 adults and 12 kids sold their houses, changed jobs, uprooted their kids out of great schools, and moved to Charlottesville to start this church. They didn't do it because the real estate was cheaper here. It's not, right? They didn't do it They didn't do it because they were tired of North Carolina. They weren't. They didn't do it because they were part of a bad church. We were part of an amazing church. The reason we did it was because of the preciousness of souls and the glory of Jesus Christ. And they said, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to lay down my preferences if it means making an impact. And this church exists today because of that group of people. A few years later, we were growing and we, we needed to raise, get this, $500,000 to turn this facility from a snowboard shop into a church. And we weren't a huge church. It's not like we had people stroking $100,000 checks. It was like young families and young adults and some retirees and some college students. Not exactly high rollers, okay? And I was like, guys, here it is. Like, we're out of space. If we wanna keep making an impact, we've gotta raise $500,000 over and above normal ties and offerings to get into this space. And our church came together and we prayed and we raised $551,000. And we're in this building because of that group of people. But can I be honest with you? It required sacrifice. There are people in our church today who are driving old cars because the money they could have used to get a new car is now in this building. There are people today, I'm one of them, who still don't have a finished basement, okay? <laughs> You're sitting in my finished basement now. But in a reality, like it truly, it was like, well, we could give these thousands of dollars to the church or we could invest it in our, in our bank. We couldn't do both, Not made of money, you know? And you just simply have to make a choice. Guys, in a very real way, you are currently sitting in someone else's sacrifice. That's what's what's happening. These chairs are here because someone loved God and loved you, even though they didn't know you, well enough to say, I'm willing to sacrifice so that other people can be blessed and can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, can be cared for and brought into community. Praise God for that. And what's happened? The gospel has moved forward. Here's what this means, guys. The tension between comfort and impact shaped the past of our church. The tension between comfort and impact will shape the future of our church. You guys ready for like like a dirty church secret? Oh, this is bad. You ready for this? When you're like a church plant and you're new, everybody expects to sacrifice because you don't have anything. But when you like get a building and you grow and you, you know, you've got like a nice kid's wing and you, you know, got nice chairs and the HVAC actually works. Remember those days? Like the HVAC actually works and the whole thing. It's just easy to show up and just assume like, oh yeah, this is just here. Like somehow this is someone paid for this. I don't know who did it, you know, but it's just here and it'll always be here. It won't always be here. Our ability to make an impact in the future is all about all of us that now call Center Church home choosing impact over comfort. Let me give you two examples. Open doors that God has put in front of us. Open door number one, our PM worship service. 
Okay, January 21st, we're launching a 4.30 p.m. worship service. Why? So we can reach more and different kinds of people with the gospel. It's an open door that Jesus has put in front of us and our, our elder team and our church believes Jesus is inviting us to walk through it. The only way we're gonna walk through that is if a whole bunch of us choose impact over comfort. We need more than 100 people and we, guys, just so you know, we don't have it yet. Because sometimes you come to a church like this, it's like, everything always works. And it's like, it doesn't always work, right? Like we don't have a hundred people yet. We need about a hundred people to say, I'll join the PM launch team. I'll serve, I'll attend, I'll worship, I'll invite so that we can open up new opportunities for new people to hear the gospel in the evenings and in the mornings. Man, if our church comes together and if we get to that number, I think we're gonna launch, it's gonna go great. And we're gonna see people come to faith in Christ and be baptized on this stage in that 4.30 PM service if we walk through the door. But if we say, ah, you know, like, it's not really a good time for me. Like, it's not very comfortable. Like the whole thing, we won't walk through the door and we won't see that happen. It's just a frightful responsibility to be alive. Like every choice we make has impact down the line. Let me give you a second one. Um, if God continues to bless our church and grow us the way that we have been, in a few years, we're gonna need to get a bigger building. Can I tell you what this building is? Guys, I love this building. Do you know what it is? It's a starter home. That's what it is. It's like three bedrooms, two baths, and Charlottesville costs $1.6 million. That's what it is. Right, but like if we keep growing at some point, we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to build the forever home. Like we're gonna have to go buy like 10 acres and raise a whole boatload of money and walk by faith and sacrifice again and build the thing so that more people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that day comes, it's just gonna be, it'll be the largest open door in the history of our church and it'll require the greatest effort from everyone that's involved. And like it's just, the question is gonna be, will we lean in and will we, and will we do it or will, will we not? Right, the, the past of our church has been shaped by godly men and women who didn't have it all figured out, but said, man, the gospel's worth it. And I'm gonna choose impact over comfort and look what God has done. The future of our church, honestly, the future of your life and the impact that you make, the future of my life, the impact I'll make, man, it's determined by that choice between impact and comfort. Principle number two, open doors come with opposition. Leads to number three, your open door is personal and powerful. Your open door is personal and powerful. First, Jesus said, I know your works. Then he said, I've opened a door. He, he didn't open this door for the church in Sardis. He didn't open this door for the church in Ephesus. He opened this door for the church in Philadelphia. He said, I know who you are, and this is the door that I'm going to open. Guys, every open door is personal. You see this principle worked out with the apostles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. That was his open door. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his open door. You see this reference in Colossians 4.17 when Paul wrote this, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Every open door is personal. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over all things. What that means is that your life isn't random, it's appointed. Your life isn't random, it's appointed. God has situated you. He situated your family of origin in your hometown. He situated your culture and your ethnicity. He situated your upbringing, education, interests, hobbies, career, and neighborhood. Why? Why? Because he has prepared good works that he wants you to walk in. Hear me, not me, not her, not them, not the church generally, you. God has situated you to walk in good works. There are people that God wants to reach through you. There are people that God wants to encourage through you. There are nonprofits that God wants to launch through you. 
open doors with your name on it that only you can walk through. Here's what this means. Your open doors are personal to you and your open doors can only be walked through by you. Only be walked through by you. Um, we're trying to get our kids into puzzles. You know, we're like trying to be good parents and that sounds like something good parents would do, right? Like get your kids into puzzles. Um, and so we bought these puzzles that like, when you put them together, they, they're like a cereal box. You know, it's like, I don't know, like Lucky Charms and Frosted Flakes. Honestly, every time I do it, I get really hungry, to be honest with you. Um, it's like, you know, so we're like, we're like putting the puzzles together. And our kid, when our kids did it first, they don't really do it now, but our kids would always try to force puzzle pieces. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like not the right piece, but it's close, but they just want it to work. And so they're like trying to jam it in there. Um, what you know as an adult, someone who's puzzled before, what you know as, as an adult is that you can't force pieces. Like there, there's one piece that will fit in that one space in that whole puzzle. And if you try to force one piece in the wrong space, not only will it not fit, it also will mess you up down the line. Guys, that's you in the kingdom of God. When you came in here, there is a puzzle piece on your seat. Grab that for me. This puzzle piece might, might need to be someone's face. This puzzle piece might need to be a ministry opportunity that's been on your heart. This puzzle piece might need to be your baptism. It might need to be giving or serving at our church. This puzzle piece represents your open door. And here's, here's what I want you to realize. If, if we're gonna put this puzzle together, it would take all of us, wouldn't it? What a weird puzzle. You guys see this? All right, this idea came to me last night on the way home. And this is the best I could do from Walmart at seven at night, okay? It's got a lion on it with a crown, which felt like Jesus to me. So it was either this or the Avengers. So I went with this. Anyway, it's a true story. Uh, so here, let me ask you, what, if we wanted to put this puzzle together, how many of us would have to be involved? What do you think? Half of us? How many? All of us, Sergio said too. All of us, right? And what if just like two of us, what if just two people are like, this is, this is silly. I don't really wanna do this. I just came here to watch today. Well, we'd have most of a puzzle, but we wouldn't have the whole puzzle, would we? Guys, here's what I want you to understand. The kingdom of God is bigger than you, but the kingdom of God is, incom is incomplete without you. Just like the, like the joy of this puzzle is not the individual pieces, it's the whole image. But if every piece doesn't play its part, it, it's not complete. Man, God has things that he wants to do in your life and in your family and in this community, in this church, around the world that are only gonna get done, man, if you and I play our parts. Man, it, the reason that your open door is so powerful is because your open door is so personal and no one else can walk through your open door. If you don't walk through your open door, no one else can, right? You see this in the life of Esther in the Old Testament. Esther was this beautiful young Jewish girl who lived in the kingdom of Persia and the, the king of Persia had a beauty con contest to pick his new queen. And so Esther enters and Esther ends up winning the contest. And so she becomes the queen and she moves into the palace. And a couple of years later, there's this like evil demonic politician who rises up and convinces the king to hunt down and execute every single Jew in the kingdom. He doesn't know that his wife uh, is Jewish. So Esther's uncle Mordecai comes to her and, and Mordecai says, Esther, this is your moment. He said, God didn't make you beautiful and God didn't make you charming for your sake. He said, you didn't win that beauty pageant so that you could live in the palace. He said, God has situated you in this place so that you could go risk your life to appeal to the king to save God's people. He says, this is your time. This is your part of the gospel puzzle. 
And just like that was true of Esther, and that's true of you, that's true of me. We all have a part to play. We all have a door to walk through. And a lot of times we don't recognize or realize just how many lives hang in the balance of our obedience. Think about a, a young girl named Noel, 17, year old, uh, 17 years old, who 50 years ago uh, started to sense that God was opening the door for her with her friend, uh, Shelly. Shelly didn't know Christ, uh, but Noel just had this burden for her. So she started praying for her and she started to minister to her and they, you know, they would read the Bible some and Noel, Noel even got her to go to a Billy Graham crusade and Shelly hated it. She was like, I can't believe you took me to that. And, but they, they keep talking, they had their ups and downs and uh, over, over time, the Holy Spirit really worked in Shelly's lives. And, and by the end of the year, the Holy Spirit really got a hold of Shelly's life and Shelly repented and believed in Christ. So Shelly's my mom and she became the first follower of Jesus in my entire extended family, entire thing. And, and so she, you know, she grew up and she was following Christ and she met my dad and, and someone else had led my dad to Christ. And so they meet and they're believers, they're trying to work it out. So they get married and, and they're, they're trying to, man, do family totally differently than they ever saw it done before. And they're trying to raise us, man, in Christ. So they have my brother and sister and I. And so, you know, I, I was raised in the church and they gave me Bibles and they taught me the gospel when I was about 13 years old. Man, I came to faith in Christ largely through the influence and example of my mom and dad. Friends, you are here today because a 17-year-old girl 50 years ago walked through an open door. Noel had no idea what hung in the balance of her obedience. Souls hang in the balance of your obedience. Generations hang in the balance of your obedience. God has saved you and gifted you for ministry and he wants you to walk through the open doors. Your open door is personal. It's got your name on it. No one else can walk through it for you and your open door is powerful. So what door do you need to walk through? Maybe you're a nurse. Your open door is medical missions. And you've been thinking about it, you've been talking about it, and you need to stop thinking about it and stop doing it and stop praying about it and do it. Maybe you're retired and your open door is mentoring young people. Can I have just a, a word with you for a second? I know young people are frustrated. Help us out, right? It's like, man, invest your wisdom and your time into young men and young women so we can learn from you. Maybe you're a college student and your open door is reaching your peers, and you will never have such a strategic opportunity to reach your peers as you do in college. Don't waste it. Maybe you're a parent and your open door is all the people in your house that are small and have your last name, right? Leverage the season of their lives to shape them and point them to the kingdom. Don't just be an involved parent, be an intentional parent. Maybe you're considering full-time ministry. It's been rattling around in your heart. Man, what you need to do is you need to take a next step and you need to come to our residency dinner. You need to learn more. I don't know what your open door is, but I know it's personal. It's uniquely shaped and crafted to you. And I know it's powerful because no one else can walk through that door for you. Guys, the gospel advances in our lives, in our families, and in this world as we each open our hands and we walk through the doors that God has put before us. But it's hard. It's hard because it takes sacrifice and it takes faith and it takes risk and it takes letting go of things. And if I'm really honest with you, there are some days where I'm just like, I don't wanna deal with it. I don't. It's like, can someone else love and cherish my wife? Can someone else raise my kids? Can someone else preach this sermon? Like, it's just too hard. 
Like I'm tired. I don't feel like I have enough. Man, I feel like I'm incompetent. I feel like I've made all these mistakes. Like I feel like I get up here and I'm a hypocrite. Like what, like can't someone else do it? And the answer is no. Maybe you can relate with me. Maybe in your best moments you wanna make an impact, but in most of your moments you just wanna be comfortable. And you're like, where do I get the motivation? Where do I get the motivation, man, to actually do this thing? Well, that's one of the reasons we need to gather together. I need you and you need me and we need one another. We need to come together and worship and, and be reminded that God is great and that he's greatly to be praised and be reminded of the significance of the mission that we've been called into and be reminded of, man, eternal, eternity and heaven and hell and that souls spend everywhere somewhere. Man, we need to be galvanized and equipped and stirred up and prayed for. We need to be reminded that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. That in this world, we will have tribulation, but take heart for Christ has overcome the world. That the same God who split the Red Sea and who caused the, the walls of Jericho to come tr- crumbling down and who struck down the, the giant Goliath and who man, healed the sick and who restored sight to the blind and who commanded the storm and who conquered the grave, that same God dwells in you and is for you. When you approach open doors for gospel ministry, you have a very strong enemy, but you have a stronger God. And we need to be reminded of that and we need to be stirred up. And that God has made us the most incredible promises, the most incredible promises when we overcome, when we persevere to the end. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus is coming back and his second coming will not be like his first coming. He came the first time in humility. He's coming the second time in glory. He came the first time riding on the colt of a donkey. He's coming the second time riding on a white war horse. He came the first time to die for sin. He's coming the second time to end a war. When God opens a door, it usually means more sacrifice, more serving, more faith, and more opposition. So where do you get the motivation to do that? You get the motivation to give up things on earth when you remember what has been laid up for you in heaven by your conquering king. Man, you you get the motivation and the strength to walk through the next door when you remember that that Jesus Christ who's overcome the grave dwells in you and is for you and is walking with you. And here's the promise that Christ has made to all of us who have repented and put our trust in him. Verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Jesus is going to make you a pillar in the temple of God. That means you'll be established in the presence of your creator. You won't be shaken anymore. You won't be shaken by anxiety or depression. You won't be shaken by that eating disorder. You won't be shaken by your regrets. You won't be shaken by your shame. You'll be established in the presence of your God and you will experience fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore because of what Christ has done. And then Jesus says, I'm gonna give you a new name. He says, I'm gonna give you my name. I'm gonna put my name on you. What does that mean? Jesus says, I'm gonna bring you into my family. And I'm gonna give you the honor that I have earned. 
and I'm gonna take away all of your shame and I'm gonna take away all of your insecurity and I'm going to give you what I have earned. You won't be on the outside looking in anymore. You won't be ostracized and excluded anymore. You'll be brought in to the family of God and you'll be honored for eternity. How is all of that possible for us? People who have made so many regrets, so many mistakes, we have regrets, we've sinned. Well, it's possible because through his perfect life, his atoning death and his victorious resurrection, Jesus Christ opened a door of salvation for us. You see, we walk through open doors for others because Jesus Christ walked through the open door of the cross for us. And our motivation for gospel ministry comes from reflecting on the gospel sacrifice of Christ. That he walked through a door that was much more sacrificial than one will ever have to be, will ever be asked to walk through. And in response to that, we walk through doors for others. So what I wanna do is I wanna invite you to bow your heads with me. And I just want you to consider a question. What door do you need to walk through today? What opportunity has the Holy Spirit put on your mind and put on your heart and you know it's there and you haven't been walking through it maybe because you're afraid or you don't, you don't think you're good enough, you don't think you're equipped enough or you're too tired. Like what door is there? And God's saying, this is your door. Here's your door. We're not getting to the next door till we go through this one. And there are, there are myriads of lives that hang in the balance of this door. Maybe your door is baptism. You need to finally go public with your faith and you've been saying you were gonna do it and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna get around to it. And today is the day. It is time. Do you know who needs you to do that? This church needs you to do that. You need to get up in here and you need to encourage our church and say he's worthy. Your kids need you to do that. They need you to see mom or see dad publicly professing faith in Christ. Your door is baptism. Walk through it. Maybe your door is confession of sin. Someone needs to know Someone needs to know about your alcoholism. Someone needs to know about that website. Someone needs to know about how deeply you're struggling with depression. You, you've, you've had thoughts of self-harm. Like, like bring people into your life that can pray for you and can bring light into the darkness. Your open door is confession. Maybe your open door is giving or serving here for the first time. It's like, this is the moment where you go from just, just consuming to contributing and, and belonging to this body and being a part of what God is doing here. Maybe it's the door of vocational ministry. You know God has stirred you up for it. You've been afraid, you've disqualified yourself half a dozen times. And today is the day that you need to say, yes, I'm walking through the door. I'm gonna come to that dinner. I'm putting it on the line. Or maybe today, the door for you is salvation. You need to be forgiven. Maybe this is your first time. Or maybe you've been coming around and man, you kind of like what you hear and you like the music and you're intrigued by the messages and, and you're close to the door. You're right up at the door. Friend, there is no greater distance that exists in the world than the distance from out of the door to in the door. Can I, can I plead with you to walk through the door today? The Bible says we don't enter the kingdom of God through our efforts. We don't enter the kingdom of God through our behavior modification. We enter the kingdom of God one way through the door of salvation, Jesus Christ. He's lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserve. He rose again in power and he wants you to be reconciled to his family. Today is the day for you to walk through the door of salvation. It is open to you. So here's what we're gonna do. And our band is gonna lead us to sing one more song. 
And if during this song, you know you've got an open door, maybe it's salvation, maybe it's ministry, maybe it's something you need to start doing, maybe it's something you need to start doing, stop doing, I don't know what it is, but you've got an open door. I want you to go to our prayer counselors on the sides of the auditorium so we can pray with you and we can pray for you. It's going to take courage to walk through the door. Satan doesn't want you to do it, so let us pray with you. So I invite you all right now, let's stand up together. Let's stand up together and we're gonna sing. And if you've got an open door that you want us to pray with you and for you to walk through, man, go to our prayer counselors. We would love to pray with you. Let's sing.